Welcome back to another episode of the Perinatal Podcast. This week I have with me my mentor. <laughs> Forgive me, am I allowed to say the godmother of perinatal mental health in Kansas City? You know, I've heard Meryl Streep, which I'm <laughs> fine with that. I'm going to start saying that instead. The Meryl Streep. Yeah, yeah, the Meryl Streep. Although someone on my team challenged it and said, Meryl Streep, how about just Julia Roberts? Like, let's dial the age down just a oh. little bit. I am happy with Meryl. No, whatever you would like to refer to me as. Wow. To be to be referred to as either of those living legends in any in the same breath as your name, I think I, I would take I would take that either way. Right. <laughs> right. It's a little weird, but yes, weird meaning, I don't see myself that way. I just see myself as doing the work. I, I see myself hear... as a, yeah as part of the mission and the movement but yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 nice to hear yes well we we throw it around freely liberally in the community so <laughs> thank you right. so much Mika for taking the time to come here yeah. and chat with me today I love to start the question uh, every episode with how do we know each other yeah here's what I remember yes um you had relocated mm -hmm. to Kansas City sometime in the pandemic right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and do you know how we connected? I don't remember. Like if, if you reached out to me or someone told me that you and moving here was one of those things. And then um, we did some mentorship and consulting yes. together. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then just, the perinatal community is small. So we just keep bumping into each other, which yes. is great. That's yeah. exactly it. I've taken some of your trainings and I yes. just yeah, so right. as well. Yeah. And it, but, but we, yes, but anyway, so that's, it's been really nice. It's so lovely. The community that you have helped start from the ground up here and it's so strong and small but mighty here in Kansas City in the greater Kansas City area yes yeah absolutely um I cannot believe how the landscape has changed in just the last three or four years uh there was a time when it was me which is a little yeah. overwhelming obviously as as um consciousness has been raised about these issues for families so it's really neat to see it's kind of exciting I would say um, I kind of feel like the auntie, you know, who um, yes, rooting for all these people um, that are wanting to do this work. So yes, absolutely, absolutely, so wonderful. So let's kind of come back a little bit. How did you get into okay. just mental health to begin with? You know, I knew as um, probably an adolescent that I wanted to do something to help people. I just didn't know what that looked like. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was in graduate school phase, I realized that social work would probably be the best fit for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's some things, as you know, that are a bit additional, different about our training in mental health, where we really focus on macro issues, social and reproductive justice, all of those things, inclusion. And so those things are important to me even in the 90s, but I wanted that to be a part of my training. I worked with and my plan long term was to work with kids mm -hmm. and so i started out in child protective services and then in the public schools and i did love it mm -hmm. um and then i had a baby <laughs> yes and everything changes but even professionally everything pivoted for me and mm -hmm. so i got into mental health knowing i'd always want to help real people real problems and then it just sort of evolved from there into mm -hmm. perinatal mental health yeah yeah and that was my next question was then from there, yeah. 
to being able to focus on perinatal mental health. You started your counseling group who are hiring, right. by the way, we'll put this in the show. I know, yeah. I know. It's been really exciting around. It's been really, we got a lot of stuff going on we can talk about later. Yeah. Uh, so perinatal, I'll, I'll give you the short story of yes. that phase of my life. Um, sure. I interestingly was so drawn to mental health as a career path and had never had a mental health crisis or real significant issues of my own. Mm -hmm. And then I had a baby and it was an absolute crisis. Mm -hmm. So um, high anxiety during the pregnancy that we didn't really understand was anxiety. There was no word perinatal. No one knew what that meant. This was 22 years ago. Um, you know, uh, it was it was severe and it was significant. And then postpartum things really took a turn for the worse. And it took me so long, Meg, to get better because mm -hmm. probably a good two years to feel like I had my feet under me. Mm -hmm. No one knew what I was dealing with in a nuanced way. As we know, working with moms and birthing parents is that way. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have an approach where someone could understand, yes, there's some mental health issues going on here. And this is a mother in front of us that needs to be treated carefully, gently, mm -hmm. um, and encouraged. And then on the medication side of it, I was tossed from primary provider shooting in the dark to strange psychiatry to and so at, as I was coming out of that I thought wait a second I've been trained as a social worker to look at the big picture and that never leaves you as I don't think as a social worker right and I had been working towards clinical licensure to be moving into private practice mm -hmm. of some kind so it just was almost this perfect marriage and blend that out of my own crisis came this opportunity to say the landscape is bare mm -hmm. uh what could be different and better and how can i make a bigger contribution as well as an individual contribution to that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and you know our family continued i think what people don't realize is if you don't have good intervention early on it's not just about can you get stable your feet under enjoy your life it's about the fallout for years after when you've right. had that kind of experience and how it affects parenting and family life and trauma responses and all of the things that come with it um after the crisis has passed and right. so i also felt committed to well if we can get in early enough we can mitigate some of that yes where it's not carried with someone the rest of their life yes yeah yeah. Absolutely. And it is so important. It's, it's so interesting to see. I mean, I obviously it's, um, you know, observation bias of like, now that I'm in it, there's so many things that I'm knowing and seeing, but mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. wild the things that I didn't know that I didn't know. And I know you and my listeners as well know that I teach at the University of Kansas. And yeah. last week, currently I'm teaching suicidal ideation and self-interest behavior, which is a- Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Not actually, intense at all. <laughs> it's, it's actually my second time teaching it. And it's been a really lovely experience, but it is heavy every week. And one of my students was talking, it, I won't go too far into a tangent, but I wanted to come sure. back to the fact, the idea that like, even people in the field, even people who've been doing things still don't know things about perinatal. Mm -hmm. One of my students was talking about like changing our note taking to reflect the appropriate language while honoring what the client is talking about. And we were talking about suicidal ideation right. and like, how do you approach that conversation with people? And so I said, well, I, I don't ever say the word miscarriage. I'm not going to admonish a new parent and say it's not a miscarriage you didn't miscarry anything I'll just right. tell me more about that pregnancy loss and yes. one of my students started crying which you're familiar with people crying in public spaces oh man I don't know I have that effect on people yeah <laughs> I mentioned that actually too I was like I cried at one of my trainings yeah, I can poke just enough to get something out. <laughs> she started crying because she's experienced her own pregnancy losses and she expressed that to the group and she was like but I've never had anybody say 
you've never miscarried anything. And I just have always called them miscarriages. And, and so then I started tearing up, then two other people in my class started tearing up. It was a whole moment. And it's inter- it's 2023. And like, we're still not aware yeah. of the language. We're still yeah. not. And she's getting her master's in social work and she's been yeah. doing other stuff for a, a while. Yeah. So it's, we've, we've come so far, we've got so far to go. It, it's always interesting to just kind of see the whole, the whole picture there. You know, something I've, I've learned or taken away from, you know, we kind of joke about crying mm-hmm. uh, in trainings. We might say something that lands roughly 70% of people that get into this work mm-hmm. came from a place of that passion, mission, personal experiences. And so it also illustrates and speaks to what is partly nuanced about this field is that we have this, our own layers of things and experiences that we have to continue to take care of Mm -hmm. as clinicians. And, And from the client's perspective, the unique vulnerability of I am a mother, I am a parent, and I am drowning, and I'm sitting in front of you, or Mm -hmm. I have lost a baby, or I'm trying to have a baby, Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to sit in front of you, and we can't talk about the five phases of grief in a similar way. And so those tears to me say two big things. One is that those of us in the field feel committed to it, have a cause, have a passion, generally speaking, and have many of our own experiences. Mm -hmm. So that's a delicate balance. And then the other side of it is how, how, I mean, we overuse the term vulnerable, but how vulnerable we are Mm -hmm. as mothers and birthing parents, um, to criticism, to judgment, to not being understood, to being marginalized. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I wanted to jump in and talk about PMADs or actually before we did that, I noticed it's some other, some people are trying to turn it into perinatal mental, like mental health disorders, PMADs. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the language? (laughs) I don't have a ton of thoughts. I mean, I come from the camp not that long ago of PPD, right? Postpartum depression, postpartum depression. And we all realize depression doesn't characterize the range of mental health responses. PDANS, it feels a little weird to me. I feel like we're talking about feminine products. I don't know why. It kind of does. I didn't think about it before, but it I know, now I've planned it. Now I've planned that in your head, but, yeah. um, but I get it, you know, it's more expansive. Mm-hmm. I language is language. I think that PMHD sounds kind of a little softer and, a, um, a little bit even more inclusive. Mm-hmm. I don't know at the end of the day, I even say it to clients, what we call it. It's more where we meet you and how we help you. So, oh, yes. And yeah. I'm not sure that parents really know what all the letters are anyway. Well, correct. And I even remember when I was starting my private practice, I had friends and they were like, but no one knows what perinatal means. And I was like, I know, but I can't say postpartum because that's only one thing. And I want to be, I want to educate and spread that it's, it's trying to conceive it's fertility, it's loss, it's postpartum. Certainly your postpartum when your baby's 22, like uh, <laughs> the whole spectrum. So I was mm-hmm. just curious, I, you know, language matters. And also at the end of the day, it's, it does, it, we're, we're doing the work and I'm meeting you right where you are. I think I would rather, um, not rather, but to me, the significance of focusing on more um, inclusive language all the way around in terms of who we're serving. So while we want to focus on what's appropriate, maybe language to capture the, the reproductive crises and mental health that can happen during sure. the reproductive years, mm-hmm. it's what is parent, who is parent, um, are yeah. we including enough? So that's where I really have tried to focus our attention on the practice here. And I know the broader community is too. 
Sure. So describe to us then what what whatever we want to call them, PMADs or PMHGs, whatever. I like to, I was in the middle of um, a session with Victoria Wigley from the UK who does uh, embryology. And then I was like, could you just describe what IVF and IUI are? Because I'm assuming that people come here knowing. No, they, and that, that's a terrible, well, you shouldn't assume anyway, but that's a terrible assumption. So, right, so, right. I, I, so now I'm asking every one of my experts who comes in, like okay. for the person who's just jumping in, in their first new experience right. um, to, to describe that for everybody. Okay. So I actually even wrote it down so I could be a little clear. Lovely. Um, I think it's any response to a reproductive crisis, and I'll clarify those, mm -hmm. that impacts our emotional health and well-being, mental health, and gets us stuck. Yes. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Stuck. Yeah. I like that. Right. Um, so I have to clarify then reproductive crisis speaks mm -hmm. to what you said. There's so many things along the continuum and that's kind of how we characterize it here. Whenever we talk about it, reproductive crisis is, you know, is pregnancy loss. It is infertility, secondary infertility. It's the loss, you know, neonatally meaning in utero it, there's so many things later term, then you move into, okay, now someone is pregnant. And why are they anxious, depressed, having a hard time functioning? And I mean, you know, day-to-day -day functioning. Absolutely. Then we move into postpartum. Mm -hmm. There are so many things, though, that can affect the pregnancy in the postpartum timeframe, right? Where someone may have otherwise been okay, but it's the biggest transition we make in our mm -hmm. lives. So anything around that can impact our ability to adjust and not get stuck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, termination and termination for medical reasons. That's another crisis. I think people see that as this choice. Right. And what we say to clients is, no, you're, you're up against a really difficult decision you never wanted to make. Right. And so it's really important to me when I say pregnancy loss, loss, we're, we're talking about everyone here because everyone deserves support and care. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. And so yeah. what has been kind of your experience in working with people with PMADS? I mean, I don't know where to start. Uh, it's beautiful work. Mm -hmm. It is, it's, um, I don't mean this lightly. It is an honor to sit in front of somebody who is suffering so much and that they'll trust me to sit with that suffering with them. And they will trust me that I might be able to help them. So first, it's just a beautiful process to watch the growth. Mm -hmm. uh, what I love probably most is about how do we help this person in this crisis and transition to hopefully change a little bit of the trajectory of how they're doing now, but also long-term. Mm -hmm. So that is a beautiful process to watch. We joke around here a little bit, you know, um, the discharging of someone from treatment and care. We talk about that in mental health, right? Yes. Discharge plan. And when someone comes onto the team, they're like, well, I had someone discharged so I can take a new client. And uh -huh. then they discover they don't ever really do that. Right. And so also the long-term relationship that I establish with my clients, I love, I love mm -hmm. it. I love to see their kids growing. I love to support them through other life challenges, the loss of somebody they love. Right. Um, so there's so many things that come with it. And so Someone will come to us around a crisis issue, but there's quickly, as you know, Meg, so many other things around it that they're needing to work through and wanting to work through. And so that's why subsequent pregnancies or planning to get pregnant, they'll come back in, mm -hmm. or you know, we're going to talk more in depth about prevention. Mm -hmm. They will come back to us when they're struggling with some sort of parenting issue or relationship issue, or again, someone in their life is really sick or died and they need 
support through that. So, mm -hmm. you know, the beauty of it, of watching growth and change, the the um, feeling so honored, and then just watching these women and families just grow over time and sort of, I say it, find their own parent voice. Mm. There's so much noise coming into parenting. Yes. And how do how does that person sit in this quiet space? How does mom figure out, how do we help her figure out to dial down the noise? I say that's all around like static on a television. Mm -hmm. the, the knowing is in here. And I don't mean it's natural all the time. We know what to do, but we know right. ourselves and we lose track of that. Yes, yes. Yeah, and that, I, I love that, this, the distinction there is that it's not, this baby has been just put in my arms and I'm magically in love and everything is perfect and I know exactly what to do. And it is knowing what does not sit well with us and looking inside and saying, is yeah. that somebody else's voice that's telling me Correct. I should should not want to do something? Or is that operating within my hierarchy of values and my core beliefs? Yes. And exactly. those are the two different things. Exactly. So it's yes. a beautiful thing to watch. Yes. And I love too that you've acknowledged because I think sometimes we see therapy on TV, movies, we see whatever it may be. Oh, it's like, we all wear cardigans, know? apparently. Apparently, yes. And um, buns. Absolutely. <laughs> all those things, yes. Um, and so I it's nice to hear, it's nice to just reiterate to people like therapy doesn't have to be linear, it doesn't have to be on a calendar, it doesn't have to be like only for this amount of time and then bye, I'll see you never. Mm -hmm. You can come and go in seasons and waves and exactly to be for the same thing. And if you have that good rapport and established with somebody, then you could just come back. And I mean that I have clients like that too. And it's a beautiful yeah. thing, but yes, yeah. I do happen to have space for you. <laughs> what's going on yeah yeah i always i usually start most of my sentences with like catch me up what's been going well I mean, it's like catch me up catch me up for a lot more than just mm -hmm. the last seven days <laughs> you know i have that makes me think i have i started um doing really went out on my own in 2008 mm -hmm. and i have clients who have returned to me that I saw 0809. Their kids are now teenagers. They're dealing with different parenting challenges, mm -hmm. aging parents, all the things that come with the phases I have been through. Right. And it's just amazing. It also though, reminds me that we're always postpartum. There's always things we'll continue to untangle based on those early experiences and crises. So yeah. it's, it's really cool. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so that's what I was, I'm, I'm so excited to have you on for so many, many obvious reasons, but I am excited because we haven't really talked about kind of the recurrence rate for people who have had the oh, okay. past, yes. uh, past pregnancy. And like, yeah. then of course where we're going is like, and what do we do to help prevent that? So what is your familiarity with like, what is the rate of that? Not necessarily like according to mm -hmm. 2022 mm -hmm. research, but <laughs> I was just curious. Well, sure, know. sure. So first let me clarify, anybody that becomes pregnant becomes postpartum. Yes. Very important to know as I'm talking about postpartum and preventing it. Yes. If we're going to talk about so yes. someone can terminate a pregnancy, their brain is now postpartum. Yes. They can experience a loss postpartum, right? And then obviously having a baby that they bring home, they are postpartum. So yes. I, I just think that's important to knowledge up front. Okay, I just lost my train of thought. What was your the, this the, is the menopause, by the way. That on both ends baby <laughs> i know it's, it's the 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 body is a wonderful thing <laughs> it's a miracle oh, okay so time. anyway we were headed what direction with that we were talking about recurrence rates yeah, um, yeah. yeah. so if someone has a poor outcome um postpartum mm -hmm. we are looking that if moving forward they did nothing mm -hmm. 
no therapy, if medication is warranted, no medication, weren't really thinking about their support system. Those are the three big things. Right. 80% chance. Wow. Mm -hmm. But the news gets good. And this is why I'm excited to talk about prevention of future episodes. Yes. Now, keep in mind then, let's say someone is um, staying through treatment and on medications when they're pregnant again. If they discontinue medications or discontinue their care and support, it's a 50 to 70% chance of breakthrough symptoms during starting in the pregnancy. Okay. So we're talking about odds that do not work in our favor, mm -hmm. right? When we don't know things, we don't do things. We, like you said before, we don't know what we don't know. Yes. So that's, that's where we start. But here's the really beautiful news. If someone is getting the care that they need, and by that, I mean, sometimes it's not always therapy all the way through. It's not always medication. They may have an existing support system. But if we reevaluate those based on any season of life in which they're trying to have a baby or having a baby, then we are able to troubleshoot specifically what they may need this time around. You know, as well as I do, every baby that we have comes into our the same family, but they're coming into a family at the different time in that family life. Yes. Oh, yes. Right. So it can go both directions. One pregnancy can be incredibly challenging, emotionally taxing, developing symptoms of anxiety, depression, or otherwise. And there's been a lot of other life crisis going on. And then fast forward four years later, life is looking better. We're not doing that same kind of work for a better outcome. So I, it goes down, if someone continues their care or picks back up their care, and what I mean too by that is preconception planning. We do sometimes people are thinking about, oh, I kind of want another baby, but I don't, and I don't want to go through that again. Um, we reduce the odds to 10% wow. from 80. Wow. Okay. This is the significance of it. What I tell people though with that 10-ish percent give or take is, yeah, you may have some challenges in this next pregnancy and postpartum again. I'm not going to be delusional about that with somebody and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Right. But I say that 10% though, think about if you already have your team mm -hmm. in place and yep. the moment you start noticing something is off, we're on it. You're right. not in it alone anymore like you were last time. Mm -hmm. So that's seeing me, if a doctor is involved, seeing their prescriber, making sure if they're not getting a good support system outside, family, friends, otherwise, how do we help leverage some of that for them? Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty dramatic drop. And it it's sad, right? Because I think it's at one time, this is an older statistic, roughly 41% of women would go on to pursue birth, permanent birth control after a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. Uh-huh. Understandably, I have one child and that's really why, because right. 22, almost 23 years ago, did I want to go through two, two and a half years and all of the fallout all over again? Right. The beauty now is we have a lot of help in the Midwest. We have a lot of supports that we can plug people into. We have therapists who are specializing. We have psychiatrists and physicians who are much more aware. So let's use it. Mm -hmm. Let's mm. use it. And yes, if you want another baby, you can have another baby. Mm -hmm. um, will it be perfect? No. Can it be so much better, even if you struggle some before and after? Absolutely. Yes. I will say too, oftentimes people are ready to have another baby and don't necessarily realize this is important for, for mothers and parents to know that babies can be, tr you can have a great pregnancy and postpartum experience another time around. And yet it's a bit of, it, it takes you back 
to the uh -huh. head. Sure. It takes you back to the negative experience. So it's sometimes good to check in with therapists around those things to kind of help manage that word we use a lot, triggers, right? Mm -hmm. To help manage like, no, you're in a new space now. You're in a new place in your life. You're not back there anymore, but it's taking you back there. Mm -hmm. So we also are sifting out what is some old stuff coming up versus truly disordered way of operating it is coming back up. Right. Absolutely. And that's interesting that 41%, I didn't even, again, here I am having this conversation with you right now. And I didn't even really think about like the implications of the change in people's family planning because, and I actually, I, I have had clients who have had that, but I hadn't, didn't think about like the statistics behind that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's no way I had envisioned two, three, et cetera. Yeah. There's no way I can do that now. Yeah. No, I mean, I told him, I'll never forget telling my husband, we were talking about maybe a third baby or second baby, sorry. And uh, I said, if I could give birth to a three-year-old, that'd be fine. Uh -huh. Partly because I'm not ever, the baby phases aren't for everybody. So sign me up out of that camp. Yeah, um, same, same. <laughs> love, love the child, not liking the face. Yes. And also, can we just skip over the the years that were hard and the transition and the hormonal changes and all the sleep deprivation can we just fat and obviously it is not possible to give birth to a toddler they don't gestate for that long we are and and i actually respect that now it doesn't mean that simply because we can prevent or mitigate how severe something is after a baby or after it's it's more about how do we um process and reconcile whatever the decision is so for me it was the best and right decision not to have more children it doesn't mean it wasn't a painful process right. so i definitely don't want to communicate to any mother that well you can so you should if you can if you want to you can if you want if that's the choice that you make yeah. and i think the can is where people have that hurdle that struggle of i don't think i'm capable and being able to understand the difference of, and then if I decide based on my knowledge now that I could and am capable, I still am good with whatever my situation currently is, then great, right. but you've made that in a space with knowledge and, and thought and intentional discussion versus just out of, out of the fear, the very well-earned fear that you're experiencing. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I just think about the families who really want to continue to grow their family or try another round of infertility treatment. And, you know, mm -hmm. oh, it's going to be awful again. I can't handle it. We can't handle it. And that is heartbreaking. So if someone is really wanting to try to grow again, if someone is really wanting to try um, infertility treatment again, we want them to feel like they can. And we, as a collective community of providers, are supporting them. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I taught there's an episode. Have you ever, are you familiar with the show Parks and Recreations from like a decade? Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, yeah. Big fan. Um, so I'm from Indiana too, so obviously I'm <laughs> biased. But they, there's an episode where Rashida Jones talks, she's um, she's pregnant and she talks about having pre-postpartum depression anxiety. And that's a that's a real thing. Like people have, I've had people who are pregnant and they are so concerned about possibly having postpartum depression or some other sort of um, perinatal mental health concern that, they have an actual anxiety and an yes. anxious reaction and a physical yes. manifestation even. And it's yes. that's a real thing. Yes. Anxious about getting anxious. Yes. 
Yes. The other part of prevention is that the first sign of worry, even we can mm -hmm. characterize that a little bit as, oh no, it could, it could, it could. And now I am anxious. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's in your head, but it's a, it's a beast that feeds on itself. Yes. Right. And so coming in ahead of, or touching base with a therapist in the midst of a little bit of it is reassurance. Okay. Mm -hmm. Hey, this is rough you're having a tough time not every bad day is a clinical problem kind of day so let's talk through it and then they can move out of that cycle of oh no it's coming oh no i had a bad day today i blew up at the kids here we go again i'm having anxiety i'm feeling irritable well it could be that mm -hmm. we'll address it and it could be you're feeling that and now you're attaching a label to it that may not be there right right i like that a, a bad day versus like a clinical concern yes I mean, come on, Meg, you're a parent. Like, do, is every day great when you're properly medicated? No. No. <laughs> no. I, mean, I can say that after 20, almost 23 years. Like, that is parenting. But when you start out with a clinical issue, meaning something, symptoms that are getting you stuck or emotions that are getting you stuck, then mm -hmm. anything can become that. Mm -hmm. Any right. situation. Right. There's actually a wise friend of mine who never had postpartum issues. One day my daughter was, I don't know, two or something. And I was telling her I was feeling, and I'm so tired of kind of managing this idea of anxiety. And she's like, uh, hang on a second. N not everything is about your anxiety. Sometimes a I, everyone has bad days. Like sometimes a bad day is a bad day. Yes. Yeah. I do think, especially with social media, which again, there's a good and a bad, very rare yeah. one thing on one thing. We are so much more aware of mental health concerns. We're aware of prevention. We're aware of uh, intervention. And I think we're very quick to self-diagnose now even more like, oh, I heard something. So I very clearly have it. I have OCD. I watched a reel. Uh -huh. <laughs> OCD is what I don't have OCD, but I, I was uh -huh. one of my big ones where I'm like, tell me more about, or bipolar disorder is another one. I'm like, tell me about your most recent manic episode. And they're like, what? <laughs> like, I don't know if you have bipolar disorder, but go ahead. I'll meet you where you are. And we'll talk about it. But yeah. It's meet you where you are. That's right. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> Let's see where we can go together, but yes, absolutely. And so again, for as good as things as it can do, it can also make us to be, to participate more, have more fuel for the fire of the concern. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so I know we've already touched on a little bit, but talking about building prevention measures and to help people who've previously experienced perinatal mental health disorders and concerns, like what do we do? What is the most meaningful way for somebody to, to get to a space where they're like, here's how I can be set, the best setup for success? Set up for success. So I go back to our biopsychosocial model that you know that I use to frame how we care for people in general. Yes. So first I want this person to be thinking about the conversations to be having with their family and support system. Um, some don't have much of a support system, so I understand that. And when I say conversation, it's opening up like concerns, things you noticed last time, things to look for. I mean, an open dialogue. The second thing is engage or re-engage a therapist. And I know it's can be cost prohibitive, it's time prohibitive, it's all of those things. Mm -hmm. However, the process of engaging a professional to help guide them through fears, concerns, for us to monitor our symptoms, and then that'll lead me to the to the third piece. Mm -hmm. So engaging someone professional who mm -hmm. it, it can be a one-off appointment, it can be a series of appointments. We talked about these long-term relationships. Some people just want to plan and some symptom relief and move on, and we're like, awesome. Right. 
then the third piece that's important is if when they wanting to get pregnant again to talk with whether it's their OB or midwife or primary whoever if they were on medications before or they had an episode that was never really diagnosed and maybe they would benefit from something like that starting the dialogue early during pregnancy or before wanting to get pregnant with their provider many people have psychiatrists it's it's engaging them this is what we're thinking about again and then everybody is on this train of seeing a bus coming and getting out of the way uh-huh uh-huh the hardest thing is wait and see that's why i say you can come in for a one-off appointment like it, this doesn't have to be complicated necessarily answer questions um manage expectations with them talk about the statistics and data those kinds of things so I think it's really important that we're all working to get them the bus out of the way or them out of the way of the bus, because the most challenging thing, as you know, as a provider, is someone comes in and it's shrapnel and it's body parts everywhere and there's a baby on board yes. and there you know, or there's grieving on board. And now we've got to try to get some just basic stability before helping them feel like they're putting themselves back together. Mm. So you've got then new big transition or grief mixed with new big mental health crisis that's a very hard combination and can take longer to get better and that's mm -hmm. the other piece mm -hmm. i mean listen meg it is hard to say i'm going to go seek care but i feel good right yes. yeah yes and that's what yes. i'm saying it can look different for different people uh, i would rather someone feel good come in while your head is clear while life is relatively okay let's discuss potential for and then mitigation of or prevention of feeling that way again mm -hmm. mm. it's hard to seek care when you feel good i yeah. i think that is such a i don't even know what i want to say i just i'm like yes yes it, it is and it's so it, it is tough because it's cost prohibitive it takes time money all of the things you have to perhaps think about something that's uncomfortable and also that's yeah. talk about the best time to start practicing your new skills is when you're not in crisis and then you're more likely to use them when you're in crisis nailed it <laughs> yeah so that's that's that but it is it's it's tough of like it it actually kind of also goes the, the reverse of that is when you have clients and i have so had so many who are like i feel better now i don't need to take my medication and it's like, no, no, you feel better because you're using because of it. Yeah. In combination, yeah. of course, with the other work that you're doing yeah. with your therapist. So that's not, please don't stop taking your medication. Sure. <laughs> now, let me say something on that note about medication. It ruffles yes. a lot of feathers. It causes a lot of reactions, responses, which I totally get. And I think you might've heard me say in training or in mentorship, it's their babes, babies, boobs, body, brain. So yes, yes. I get it. Least yes. amount necessary. The challenge is, yes, once yes. someone is feeling a little bit of relief, then maybe it's time to be done. I understand why we all want to be done with something. Um, and so that is, we make a lot of room for that. If someone mm -hmm. is wanting to be off, has been on medication, wants to be off during their pregnancy, and I gave you the statistics, you know, 50 to 70%, right. I'm happy to help carry you through. Yes. Let's revisit coping strategies, managing yes. expectations so that you can do that and by the way if and when i think this is becoming more problematic i'll be honest with you yes. and straightforward about what we may need to do and then i will support the decisions that you make yes yes 
And also lovely too, because again, sorry, we're, we're, it's circuitous, but I'm just reiterating again, we've come back to, because you've already established this relationship with your therapist, your therapist is going to be able to acknowledge like, hey, things seem to be going back toward the way that we were before. Right. How do we feel about that conversation again? But you've already established that relationship. Yes. And so it's not you out there by yourself being like, how am I feeling? How am I doing? Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All of those things in combination. <laughs> and so what about, like, how can support people be involved? What are some effective things that people can do? Um, I also like to maybe throw out, not to be from a negative standpoint, but some certain things that they could avoid doing, but certainly yes. at least yeah. from a yeah. solution-focused standpoint, what can we do? I know, everyone, especially, yeah, partners. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Right. How do I fix um, this? How do I? Yeah. And of course that fix is not a word we like to use in therapy, but no, I know what you mean though. Um, yeah. this gets a little complex because when we say support and support people who are those, you know, we yes, may assume sure. it's your family or your, and they may be the opposite of that and actually make yes. things worse. So I tell people, the person who may be struggling or has, mm -hmm. I want you to figure out what is your practical support and your emotional support when you reflect back? So I start with the client, obviously, for them to advocate with their support system. Practical support is someone maybe really good at cleaning toilets or, you know, diapering butts or loading laundry, and they're terrible at sitting with pain and suffering. Yes. <laughs> Acknowledging validating. Okay. Yes. Then there are the people like who are great at sitting with the suffering, at listening, at encouragement, at you've got this, I'm here for you, and are terrible at all the other things. You know, they're going to want to sit and say, hey, I'm thirsty. <laughs> You're like, I'm the one. <laughs> um, there are people who are good at both and people who are good at neither. So yes. I want first the client the, to be thinking about yes. who are those people, make your list based on last time's experiences, and let's just expect appropriate things from people based on what they can deliver. Yes. Then it's going to those people. And if it's someone who's really good at practical support, they love lists. In fact, yes. practical people will be like, if I can do anything, you're like, I don't know. So yes. I'm like, think about the things um, last time around, or when you experienced loss and grief, who was helpful and how, or what were you missing? Make your lists. Yeah. So, so this does mean asking. Now, yes. To the support people, I say, hovering doesn't help. You okay? You all right? We're going on. Yeah. Have you taken your medicine? Showing up though to say, you've got this. We've got this. I know this is hard. I know this is scary, right? It's the hardest thing, oddly, for people to do, but kind of the easiest because you aren't trying to solve a problem. Yes. As a support person, we've got to sort of tolerate and sit with it. Uh-huh. Also tell support people, open up the conversation with them around, hey, how will we know what would be a good way for me to approach you if and when I'm concerned, right? Because the last thing somebody wants in crisis is like, oh, those feelings aren't real. It's just your anxiety. Yeah. Uh, I think that predictability, so support people thinking about, okay, how can I um, figure out in my life when I could be helpful and how? And maybe it's blocking out a little bit of time. An example would be, um a grandmother that has some flexibility in her schedule and so for a while after the baby comes thursdays is going to be day with mom grandma right like building that in ahead of time otherwise we're reacting to need and then mom doesn't want to say i need this because i'm a burden right. right so back that bus up when she's not feeling like a burden right and be able to articulate the things that she may need 
Now, yes. if someone is resourced, um, we also have conversations about what are we outsourcing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do a care this time around. Is it some night care to get some good sleep? Um, is it, yeah, meal trains, I suppose. It, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. How can you leverage some outside support if you have the resources this time? So for instance, I have a client who um, her partner was going through a lot of his own things at the time in his family. And we were realistic that he was not going to be available as a partner the second time around the way he was the first. And, and while we all want that, that was the reality. So how did, how did we get creative, not just paid support, but how do we get creative with, first of all, it's a, it's not okay, but it's also okay if you can't be available with everything else going on. And how will you um, utilize the people that you have, mm -hmm. right, in, in your network? And so if you can outsource some things to get sleep, great. If you can plan, and, and then that includes the support people you're asking, like, what can they do? Look mm -hmm. ahead. Offer. You know what? Uh, my schedule is going to be this way this time. I would love to be one that checks in with you and has coffee on Tuesday mornings. Yes. Or, you know what, I'm going to take this time off. It could be a family member, grandparents, whatever, um, just in case. Mm -hmm. It removes the element that that support people don't realize of guilt that mm -hmm. moms and parents so much sit with. And I don't want to be a burden and I feel guilty. So if we do these things proactively up front to support people, it helps. Mm -hmm. And then I do think it's important for support people to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. We, we talked about them being there right? To jump in if mom is drowning, but what if you might be feeling that a little bit too? So take care of yourself yes. in all of this, which means a lot of different things to different people. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Those are just the basics. Yeah. I really love that. And I, that goes back to, again, that, that expectation of people of uh, I've had this baby and now I know everything as a mother and as a human and a parent, and I don't need help because I'm supposed to be able to do it all by myself. And then I'm super mom. And, mm -hmm. um, I think when we can let go of that, those external voices and not make that part of our yes. core belief, then we yes. Yes. That help in a meaningful way, then everyone feels yeah. a part of the, part of the team. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so then I, we, you've mentioned it a couple of times and oh my gosh, yes, not necessarily does blood relation or proximity mean support. Yeah. Um, how can we help people who, how can we help people find others who understand what they're going through, um, what they've been through, finding meaningful right. community? I think many women, I'll say in particular, cringe sometimes I did at the idea of support groups. Yes. Okay. Sure. It's different in parenthood mm -hmm. because we aren't designed to parent in isolation. We are designed by design, biologically, anthropologically to parent in community. So it's dual purpose. Yes, you're going to go in, share, feel, right, discuss, and you're potentially building a network of parents you can lean on. Mm -hmm. Support groups, I mean, are all over the place in some ways now too. Uh, virtual access right? To some um, in practices we have, I think, you know, it's a group support therapy program. Mm -hmm. And just most recently as a good example, at the end of, it was eight weeks over four months is how they work. And there's topics and then time to connect. And we encourage them to connect with each other. And it was like, they felt like they had graduated and they had a picture of all of them with their babies and gave it to Tiffany. 
Oh. at the end in a frame and they were at somebody's house and they make plans together. And so support mom looking for parents looking for um, support groups, support environments is a lot easier to do than it used to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know you're good at kind of pointing to those things like online and what you can access. And there are organizations and practices that are doing those kinds of things. So if they're not getting it outside, it is a good way to be in a shared experience of mothering. Mm -hmm versus let's go to stroller strides or whatever those things are called. And you don't know these other people all look happy. Yeah. That can be really hard, you know, where they have the perfectly patched, packed lunch at the picnic, you know, at the park and you're like, you got fries in a bag. That was me. Mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's seeking that out a little bit, even though it can be scary mm -hmm. is if, if you don't have that emotional support other places, and certainly it's counterproductive in your family or among other people, this is, you know, particularly true with loss. You right. really have to protect yourself mm -hmm. um, and you can. Yes. And then I think that the other piece to that is when, if and when support isn't feeling comfortable or like a good idea, I say it's better to have things in place and not need them Yes. than to need something and not have it in place. So someone could do the exploration of that, even if they're not struggling a lot. Yeah. What would it look like if I wanted or needed it? Right. It's an unfortunate reality in America that we have to sort of artificially create community and support systems for people when in other countries they live multi-generationally, they parent in villages and community, and we just don't do that. So that's the harsh reality that we're up against in America more than many other countries. And I always say the hardest families for me to care for when there's instability is when they don't have support, they don't have family, it's not healthy relationship with family. That is the hardest thing for me mm -hmm. as a clinician. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I, all of my listeners know, uh, and welcome to the show if this is your first time, if Mika has drawn you in, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we moved here, we moved here in March of 2020 and I had my daughter the next year and my family are eight yeah. hours away and my husband's family are 15. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it is. And I'm, I have no problem being vocal about what I need. It's just, I'm asking, but to whom? And so it, it's finding, right? Yeah. And then, so then what happens? I mean, um, there's research done on social support, having a network, having community when you transition to parenthood mm -hmm. and the risk of, of actual mood disorders when that is not in place. Like it, it's a harsh reality. So in the pandemic, we we weren't able to even help get creative and leverage and where's a support group and who else in your name? That was not possible. So we right. had to go back to the very, very basics mm -hmm. of, okay, you don't have community, but have you had hydration and nutrition and movement and some sunlight and a little bit of joy and some sleep? So, I mean, I'm talking things that sound great and I know not everybody can access it. And then that's when the professional support sometimes becomes more important right. is when you have that outside. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one too, right? The hydration that's for everything that's outside of perinatal as well. Hydration movements. Hydration. Yeah. We call them the non-prescription prescriptions. Yes. Light movement, hydration, nutrition, joy, and sleep. Yes. And sleep and sleep is, yeah. <laughs> especially in the situation. How do we figure that out? So exactly, um, exactly. Wow. Well, I just I really appreciate you coming and sharing you know, some of the statistics and the facts behind it, and then the ideas of and ways of making it feel accessible. Kind of like almost a okay. Here's here's something that, that we can do to set us ourselves up for success as much as possible. I love the idea. Right. Of better to have it and not need it than need it and not have yes. it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It. 
uh, like, like we said, and we agreed, it's hard to seek things out when you don't need them or when you do feel good. And at the same time, it can offer a lot of peace of mind to know, well, if and when things are challenging, again, if or when I'm a part of that 10%, then I have those things to fall back on pretty quickly. Yes. Amazing. Mika, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you so much. I feel well, like thank you. I have it's like... Really 75 other topics. If you ever want to come back on, I would love to. <laughs> I I would love it. Yeah. Okay, I don't so have the gumption, you know, to start a podcast and start one more thing around here. Um, but I, I enjoy this um, form of medium to to discuss things pretty yes. openly. I, I really love it. It's been a real joy for me. And it's nice because I get to learn so much from other people. And I just love asking questions and being curious. Yeah. So, um, well, great. So where can everybody find you? I'll put it in the show notes as well, obviously. Sure. So sentimano.com. I mean, Sentimano Counseling, um, you know, started with just me and my name. So that's what we kept. I don't know if you know this, but Sentimano in Italian means many hands. How perfect is that? I did not know that. Not even my given name, right? So anyway, sentimano.com is where you can find us. You can find out about all kinds of things there. Our groups, our counseling services, um, everything is on there. There's no, it's all transparency in terms of like, what are our fees and what is our wait time? And then um, Kim Hawley, who you've had on before is our clinic coordinator. So people need to know anytime they make first contact with us, they will connect with her. And she's a fabulous soft place to land and we'll give them whatever direction they need, whether it's us or elsewhere. Yes. Um, training, they'll find out, um, clinicians can find out more about our training program there. So that's the best place to land first. Uh, we have social media and our social media is very focused on encouragement mm -hmm. um, and information, yes. not advice, not self-diagnosis, not self-promotion for us, okay. but, um, well, self-promotion, maybe of training opportunities, things like that. Okay. However, for parents, it's really meant to be that. So Sentimano Counseling on Instagram and Facebook, I actually think is a healthy thing to follow for that reason. Mm -hmm. I love yours. And sometimes I have to admit, I, I feel like I have to, like, I've got sponsors of my show. And so they need- Of course. To yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I know you mentioned this in your training, how much you love doing TikTok dances and whatnot. That's oh my oh. I mean that's listen, where I draw the line. I, listen, I no no disrespect or disregard for the people like with real, you know, first it was just have Instagram. Yes. Okay, wow, that sounds cumbersome. Okay, now we're gonna give you this story concept to figure yes. out. Okay, fine. Now we're gonna do reels. Oh, and now we so kudos to the people that are good at it, enjoy it. You probably will never see me dancing to music, not because I don't love to dance to music, but I don't want to put together that part. And notice anybody else in my office. So yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. Now my, I love to dance. My son often asks me not to, I just won't be oh. doing Yeah, I don't know. Maybe now I've said it, maybe I should, anyway. Okay, well, again, Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to sharing this with everybody and right. for everybody else. Remember, right. be curious, not judgmental. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>